This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Have you snagged your copy of my top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs yet? What are you waiting for? Go get them right now. Just go to markstucheski.com forward slash five tips. That's the number five T-I-P-S. Markstucheski.com forward slash five tips. Get the top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs right now at markstucheski.com forward slash five tips. Amanda Neely is a small business and financial professional. She founded and ran Overflow Coffee Bar L. 3C from 2008 to 2018. Now she shares her experiential knowledge through podcasting and through developing personalized financial strategies for individuals and couples and profitability strategies for businesses. Amanda, there's a lot of big words there, but uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, I, I tripped over some of those words there because I'm. You did I, great. I'm a simple man. I like simple words, but you you forced me to get out of my comfort zone. So where are you in the world right now? Cincinnati, Ohio. Ah, Cincinnati, Ohio. I don't like Cincinnati. You want to know why? Why not? Why? Because I'm a Notre Dame fan and you guys beat us. So I don't like, <laughs> that is just so silly. Um, no, I've, I've been to Cincinnati once. I drove through it. I was yeah. coming. Where was I going? I was, I was lived in Rochester, New York, and I was headed toward Houston, Texas to visit back in 1996. I moved here in 1997. And I remember you go down through you know, Rochester, Buffalo in the, in Ohio. And then you go through, uh, winding through diagonal through, mm-hmm. um, Ohio. And I remember, I thought it was so cool because there's like Ohio and there's Kentucky right there. It's really weird. We got yeah. the big river there and everything like that. So I've only driven by there, uh, but I'm sure it's a beautiful place except for during the winter. Yeah, it's not that bad. I lived in Chicago for 17 oh, years. Yes. So by comparison and comparison to Rochester, Cincinnati is much better winter wise. Yeah, I I love it down here because now we do get snow, believe it or not. We had a winter snowstorm in February of 2021, which to this day I cannot believe. I looked out my my backyard and it was 15 degrees and there's snow in my backyard and I remember asking my wife, "Did we move overnight?" I mean, <laughs> this isn't Houston. Uh one of those things and then the farmers almanac said, "Hey, you could have another one in January." I'm like, Wait, what? No, no, no. I don't want to ever see another snowstorm again except for on TV. Yes. So let's talk about money. Um, We were talking a little bit before we started the show, and I'm sort of a Dave Ramsey fan. I don't like everything Dave Ramsey teaches. And that's that's one of the things I encourage people. As you learn whatever you want to learn, finances or marketing or whatever, don't just hook your star to one person and say they are the gospel. Listen to what they say and go, well, I agree with some of this. I don't agree with this. And then you learn something else from someone else. For example, Dave doesn't like debt. Of course, he's a multi, multi, multimillionaire. Uh, He doesn't do, uh, he, he invests in mutual funds. I'm more of a fan of real estate. But the one thing I do like what Dave Ramsey teaches is you need to know where your money's going. And he's got an app he came out with four or five years ago. It's available on Android and the Apple I, uh, App Store. It's called Every Dollar. We need to know where every dollar is going. My wife and I, since we started using this app, we don't fight about money because we know where the money's going. So talk to us about the importance, the importance of knowing where your money goes, not in your head, but in reality. 
Yeah, I've been tracking uh, and giving every dollar a job and telling it what to do uh, for like eight years or so. And before that, my husband and I, we didn't track every dollar. We had like big goals. And as long as we were reaching those big goals, we were fine. But before I got married, I had a little notebook. I wrote down every single dollar, right? That's who who I was. And it was really refreshing coming back to that. We use an app called YNAVR, You Need a Budget, very similar from what I understand to every dollar, just different people developed in and whatnot. Um, and it, it gives us a really good peek at what our money's doing, helps align us, right, in making decisions together. But the biggest thing for me is that it's allowed me to have a little bit more fun money to like realize actually I've got all my bases covered. I I can put this in just this fun money category and figure out later what I'm going to use it for. Um, and that, that's been a lot more freeing and giving to me. A lot of people feel like, well, if you're budgeting or you're tracking every dollar, it's going to feel restrictive. But actually, if you can't gain control and you're telling your money what to do, you're more likely to have some leftover that you can use for what you want freedom wise or assign that first and then cover everything else. However you want to do it. Yeah. I had a problem. I mean, this is November in October, September. I got an addiction to Uber eats. My wife works Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night. She works noon to nine and I would get lazy. We'd have food in the house and I would go to Uber eats and, and I started rationalizing with myself. Oh, I'm not spending that much. But when you track every dollar and you go in there like, Oh, <gasps> Oh my gosh, my eating out budget is how much? And, and it's, it's crazy. So it, it, you got to get it out of your head. That's the thing I want people to get most from this conversation. You need to stop thinking about, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that bad. I don't spend that much money at Starbucks. Well, how much money do you spend at Starbucks? If you tracked it and you created a category called Starbucks, then you would know. I wouldn't put it in miscellaneous because that's not going to tell you the truth. But if you have a, you create a category, most apps allow you to create a category says Starbucks. And then at the end of the month, you're going to know exactly how much money you spend at Starbucks. And I will tell you, you already know this, Amanda, it's going to horrify you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe you'll switch and go to your local independent coffee shop instead. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Um, the, the thing that I find interesting though, is people will do this with their monthly in and out, right? The cash flow, seeing it run through their money, but they don't do it with their investments. Mm. I mean, if you, uh, I don't know, like are people actually opening up their 401ks and adding their balance every time they go into their budgeting app and saying, is this doing what I thought it would do? Probably not. Is it, you know, is, and we're told don't, don't do that. Don't open them up, but maybe we'd make different decisions. Maybe we'd get to a better place. If we did look, if we were more fully informed, if that works for the coffee budget, why wouldn't it work for the retirement long-term as well? That's a very good point. And I wonder how many people have ever thought about that because you're right. We're told don't look at the balance. As a matter of fact, I remember a number of years ago when I started learning from Dave Ramsey, I had a conversation with my mom, and this is back in 2008 when the market was crashing. And my mom, who has late onset Alzheimer's, she's not even herself anymore, but I remember she called me and she says, I've lost all my money in the stock market. Now, I'm not a financial guy. Okay, I'm not a financial planner, but I said, Mom, the way I understand it, if you haven't taken the money out, you haven't lost any money because if you leave it in there, it will rebound. That's how the stock market works. And she goes, I didn't take it out. Didn't take it out. Didn't take it out. Well, she did take it out. So mom 
was rationalizing their head in all likelihood saying I, you know, I left it in there. But if you have a stock at the hundred dollars and the market tanks and it's a dollar and you don't take it out and it goes back up to a hundred, you haven't lost any money. It's only the value is assigned when you pull the money out. So that's why they say when the market's in the free fall, don't panic. Even if it goes down to a penny, leave it there because as is evident, after 2008, 2009, the economy came back up again and everybody's money was replenished. But people panic. They see the market crashing and they they get the cold sweat. And they go pulled out. Well, then you've lost money. And I know, I know it's difficult to leave it in there when you see it going down in value. But remember, it doesn't have a value at this point until you actually pull it out. Yeah. Let's talk about it. The flip side, though, this is what a lot of people don't talk about. Let's just use a brokerage account, not like a 401k where we have to worry about taxes and early withdrawal penalties and stuff. But let's say it's just a brokerage account and um, you're watching the value go up and up and up. It's also still paper wealth. You didn't make any money right until you sell it. People have a really hard time determining when they should sell, mm. how high is high. And that's a really interesting question to ask because, you know, you ask anybody that owns some stocks, do you think your stocks are high or low right now? I probably 100% of them are going to say they're high right now. Well, when do you want to sell? When they're high or when they're low? Well, when they're high. Well, is it, if it's high right now, why aren't you selling? Right? Like, and they always think, well, it's going to go higher and it's going to go higher. And we just keep waiting and waiting and waiting. So we never sell. And then eventually it's going to have a dip. And we're like, gosh, I wish I would have, right? <laughs> so that's where we have to like think about that side too. And if we're watching, maybe we can take advantages of some of those highs before then the next step happens. Hey, you listening to the Mark Stuchowski podcast. Thank you so much for doing so. I really appreciate it. But are you a Mark Stuchowski insider yet? This is my free email newsletter, and you can sign up right now by going to mrproductivity.com. M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. Can you imagine if you had the opportunity to buy Apple stock when it started or Facebook, you would be so wealthy right now, especially if you bought a hundred or a thousand because the, the stocks were really cheap now. Now you can't come close to it. I mean, you can, but it costs a significant amount of money. That's the thing about stocks is you don't know what is the next Amazon? What is the next Apple? What is the next Microsoft? That's why I have actually fallen in love with what Grant Cardone teaches and that's real estate because even when the economy tanks, people still need some place to live. And some people get into real estate and they buy single family homes. And Dave Ramsey talks about this. You don't want that because if they don't pay their mortgage, then you're on the hook. But if you own like a 100 unit apartment complex, you're never going to have hundred percent of vacancy. You're going to have maybe 98, 95, 92% vacancy or open uh, um, occupancy which means you're going to always have money coming in. And so I have gone to from the stock market, which I really think is a bunch of old guys in the back of the room rolling dice. And that's why the stock market goes up and down. That's my opinion. And, and the house always wins. Yes, exactly. I've exactly. But real estate, people need places to live. So I've actually come to the other side and I'm like, you know what? People do need places to live. Now, I wouldn't invest in homes. I would invest in apartments because if you lose your home, you go to an apartment. And so that's where I'm looking at that for. Yeah. So here's the danger I want you to look out for. Danger, danger, then, danger. <laughs> um, because I've worked with too many people who have 
put all their chips into real estate, thinking exactly how you're thinking. And they don't keep anything liquid, anything available. Because the biggest risk with real estate is that if you decide you need your money back, it takes a long time to sell it or you know, to find someone. Maybe if you're using a REIT or some kind of mutual fund that's a real estate mutual fund, because you can do that. Maybe that's easier if, you're, if liquidity is important and accessibility. But if you're buying that 100-unit apartment building, maybe with a couple other investors, if you want your money back because you need it for something, you, it's going to be a hard you know, uh, long time to sell your part of that share. It might take months and months. So what you want to be thinking about is how much liquidity do you need? And of course, Ramsey would say you need one to three months, maybe three to six months in today's kind of environment where we can have a pandemics and that kind of thing. But if you think back to 2008, there were people that lost their jobs that couldn't find a job for two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So you have to kind of think of those kind of contingencies and keep that safe, liquid, accessible portion and don't put all your chips into real estate. Um, that's and, um, and every person's probably going to have their unique number for what they want to keep available. Um, but if anything, err on the side of too much is what um, my like my leaning, my preference, because I'm also thinking about real estate and I'm piling up a bunch of cash right now waiting for the next real estate bubble to burst and I want to swoop in and do some really awesome stuff. Um, but uh, I'm also not going to put all my chips into that when it comes to it. Interesting, because one of the things Grant Cardone teaches, and I have committed to getting off the going to learn from everyone train. Now I'm like, okay, for a year I've invested in Grant. I'm going to learn from Grant. Uh, Guy's got two helicopters, a private plane, and uh, $4 billion in assets. So I think he knows he's talking about. But one of the things he talks about is, number one, obviously he sells Cardone Capital, which I'm not an investor in yet, which is a real estate investment trust. So he goes out, he finds the properties, he gets the management company, and then he just sends you dividend checks every month, which is cool. And of course, your dividend depends on how much you meant you invest in it. You can't invest 100 bucks in and think you're going to get $20,000 back. That's how the math works. But one of the things he taught in one of his trainings, which I'd like to know your thoughts on, which to me really sounds provocative. So he says, if you look at the most wealthy people in the world, they stay broke. In other words, if you need $10,000 to live a month and you make 40,000, you take that 30,000 and you put it someplace where you can't touch it. And so it com- combines into wealth, real estate, stocks, whatever like that. So when I first heard that, I'm like, stay broke. How does a billionaire stay broke? He goes, you can't put the money in the savings account. You need to have some money that is liquid. Obviously, you've got to pay your rent. you got to pay your car payment. you got to put food in the table, pay the cable bill. Obviously, that's true. But he says most of his money goes back into investments that are going to provide not only for him today, but for his kids in the future and his kids' kids and stuff like that. So what do you think about the mentality of staying broke? In other words, not going out and buying that Lamborghini or not going out and buying that, you know, brand new watch or whatever like that. A lot of successful people, they buy the fun toys off of passive income. They don't buy it off of earned income. So what do you think about staying broke? Yeah. I mean, there's this whole millionaire next door kind of thing, right? That the people that are actually able to build assets are the people that live next door and don't change their lifestyle. And instead, they're putting everything extra that they get, all their pay raises, any windfalls um, into something that's going to build their wealth rather than spending it. And actually, um, 
they've found that that also gives a lot more satisfaction and happiness than going and spending it on that nice car or, you know, Uber Eats or whatever it might be. Um, well, think and- of the players. Think of all the athletes. I don't mean to cut you off, mm-hmm. but the athletes who make millions and millions of dollars and they leave the sport and then they're homeless because right. they just spend, spend, spend. Yep. Instead of saying, I'm not going to change my lifestyle. Every wealthy person, Dave Ramsey, Grant Cardone, et cetera, et cetera, Tony Robbins, whatever. They say, don't change your lifestyle. When you get that bump of income, if you're already living on the low, the lesser income, continue living that and invest the rest. What most people do, and you know this, Amanda, you're in the field. They're like, oh, I got an extra $10,000. They go out and buy a new car or they go out and buy a new refrigerator or a brand new 600 inch TV. And that's not what the wealthy people do. No, they don't. And um, so going back to then like, well, where? Oh, well, there's two ways. So one thing to think of it, if like you have a buffet, if you were eating at a buffet every day, you'd just get fat <laughs> and you wouldn't have anything to show for it, right? Yep. But we, instead, if you use smaller plates, you feel more satisfied, you eat healthier, right? So basically what you're talking about doing is taking the buffet of the money that comes in and breaking it down into smaller plates. And that's super important. Um, and using percentages to do that, I think, is an, an amazing thing because then no matter how much comes in, you're you're going to... Um, save 10% or, you know, um, actually we use something that's called grandma's 10, 10, 10 savings formula back in the greatest generation. This was the main rule of thumb they lived on. They'd have the money come in 10% they'd set aside for the long term retirement, you know, um, lo- you know, very long future, 10% for medium term, things like the roof repair, the car replacement, the kids college, something like that. And then 10% was for short term savings things that would come up once a year or maybe quarterly, like an oil change or a holiday gifts, birthday presents, that kind of thing. And then maybe they also gave 10% if they were givers. So there goes 40, 30 to 40% of their income right away. And they would live off the rest. Right. And so then as their income grew, they did get some lifestyle creep or they they got some flexibility to, you know, as the gallon of milk started costing more, they got a little bit more of a bump there, but they made sure they were saving that, that 10, 10, 10 savings formula, um, first before doing any kind of spending. And I've, I adopted that for myself and it's been amazing to help me figure out what do I, you know, that kind of long term 10% make sure I've got that for me. And that's, I can, I'm putting it somewhere where I can still access it and use it for things like real estate, right? Not somewhere where I can't touch it at all, right? No, and have no access to it without penalty and stuff. And then the 10% for medium term, actually putting in the same spot, because since I have access for it, I don't have to wait till I'm 59 and a half. I can have those funds growing together and um, helping each other out, right? Um, To make more money for me. And then that 10% that's for the short term, that's what I keep in my savings account because it's going to get spent every year or so anyway, except, you know, during the pandemic, I did move that over because I wasn't going to do any travel and move some of that short term into the longer term as well. Yeah. One of the things I grew up in a blue collar family. My dad was a machinist. My mom was a secretary and they lived, you know, they had some savings. They had some retirement, but they, you know, I never knew to this day. I don't know how much money my parents made. Never. My parents don't tell me that stuff. But then I came across Grant Cardone saying, when you have a lot of money, you have a lot of choices. See, when you are living paycheck to paycheck, you don't have a choices. When you have a lot of money, oh, the car broke, you can go buy a new car. 
or you have to move, you can move. And so I never, it's so hard, even now in November, 2021, for me to say this, but I want to become super rich because when you have a lot of money, not only do you have a lot of choices, but you can help a lot of people. I remember when Hurricane Harvey hit Houston back in 2017, my wife and I were not in a place of helping people because we didn't have any extra money. When you are wealthy, super rich, you can help a lot of people. Now, there are some selfish, narcissistic, wealthy people who don't help anybody but themselves. But there are a lot of people who are in the charities because I believe givers get. I mean, I remember when Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, Grant Cardone loaded up his private plane, flew it over to Houston. I mean, that's the kind of person I want to be associated with, not the kind of person that's buying mansions and Lamborghinis and all this other stuff. I want people who care about humanity. But I think what you have to understand, and I hope people are understanding their conversation, that there's no way to make a lot of money quickly legally. Now, you can sell drugs, you can you know, become a, uh, you know, a john for prostitutes, but that's illegal. If you want to make money that's legal, it's going to take time. And I think people, they, they don't want to wait. That's why a scary, uh, something Grant said earlier, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he really thinks that eventually we're going to have 60, yes, 60 year mortgages. And the reason why is because the price will go up, but the monthly payments come down and people go, well, I can afford $250 a month, but for 60 years, and, and I, I hope it doesn't happen. I mean, he's more into this than I am. Let me ask you this. Do you think, do you think that that's a possibility that, that we could see 40, 50 and 60 year mortgages just to make them more affordable for us? Does your to-do list have you overwhelmed? When you join my digital productivity coaching program, you'll learn how to get and stay focused, become untangled from the chaos of your to-do list, experience less overwhelm, and have time to do what you really want to do. Sign up today by clicking the coaching tab at mrproductivity.com. Yeah, if you look at the history of mortgages, when they first came out, they weren't 30 years. Right. Right? So if we look at their trajectory... And we're basing it alone on that. And then we're adding maybe a little bit of human psychology, kind of like you were referring to, um, having a lower payment, um, maybe. And especially as much as the banks control our world and the, you know, the lender um, becomes, you know, the who we're all enslaved to, mm -hmm. they're going to do what is going to be best for them. And to have a 60-year mortgage, that's great for them, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. It's scary to think about, but I remember one of the things when I went through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, he says, people no longer ask, how much does something cost? They say, how much down and how much per month? And mm -hmm. so when my wife and I bought our first home, I naively thought that, oh, the mortgage is like $150,000. I don't even remember what it was. And I'm like, oh, that's great. $150,000 over 30 years. No, if you take 30 years to pay it off, it's scary. It's close to a half a million dollars. Nobody told me as a first time homeowner or home buyer, that's what happened. I was stunned. I'm like, oh my goodness. Are you serious right now? Because I think if they told people that when they bought the house, I think less people would buy houses and they go, yeah, I'm just going to stick and rent, the, rent an apartment for now. Mm -hmm. And then you add the property taxes and the maintenance and all of that to it. Home ownership's expensive. Um, a lot of people think of their home as their asset, 
right? And for a lot of people, that might be where the majority of their net worth is. But an asset is something that gives you money, pays you dividends, you know, something like that. Liabilities cost you money every month. Yeah. I learned that from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. He says, everyone thinks the home's a asset. Assets, like you said, make you money. Is your home making you money? Maybe if you sell it. And But people, and I really think, I've heard Robert Kiyosaki, Grant Cardone, other people say this, that the home is an anchor. So when you have a home and you get a 30-year mortgage, you just can't, oh, my mother's sick in Tennessee. I'm going to move to Tennessee. You can't because now you got to sell your home. But if you had an apartment, it's a lot easier to move. You're more mobile. And I'm really beginning to think that the home ownership is a trap that was created by bankers. I can't prove this. It's just my uneducated opinion. What do you think about that? Yeah. And it's interesting because like if your home is also your home for your money, then a hundred percent, you're just in the banker's pocket, right? Um, you don't, you're, you know, the home is a, just like we we're talking about with real estate. It's illiquid. You don't have a lot of access to it if you did want to sell it and move, right? Um, but what if your home was just the place that you live and you try to keep as little equity there as possible and you keep your money moving somewhere? Yeah. What if you did have a mortgage forever and instead of paying extra on the mortgage or having all that money tied in the walls of your house, you're able to go put it to work and outperform what you're paying the banker for that, especially in today's super low interest rate environment where people have three, four percent mortgages, sometimes 2.75. You think you could make more than 3% somewhere else, <laughs> then why, why would you pay off your mortgage early? Yeah, that's, that's something really to think about. But everyone's got the dream, uh, the house, the white picket fence, the driveway, the garage. But you got to stop and think about, you know, how is this going to serve you and your family yeah. and your kids and their kids? And the problem is we have a financial illiteracy in our country. And people need to educate themselves. And here in 2021, the information is so easy to find on social media or on the internet or go buy a book. I mean, you can, if you're not financially literate, there's no excuse. The information's out there. It's either free or very uh, affordable. And I encourage anyone, whether they reach out to you and you'll tell us how to get a hold of you at the end of the show or someone else, go get educated because it is your responsibility to get educated financially. Don't trust your banker because they want to make money for themselves. That's why they're in business. If the bank didn't make money, they wouldn't be in business. So go educate yourself, please. There's plenty of podcasts out there, but don't say, I don't understand finances. Go out and learn, educate yourself because when you educate yourself, you make better decisions. Yeah. And my tip here is I love your tip with, you know, follow one person for a while, right? Really get deep into what they're doing rather than trying to learn from a bunch of places. And then I would say for that person, look for someone who's standing on time-tested mm. financial wisdom, not just the latest fad, right, or the the coolest thing that the people are doing now. And um, also, maybe that guru that you choose is someone who's dead. <laughs> and they have you know books that were written hundreds of years ago that have those time-tested principles. That's a great place to start. Places like The Richest Man in Babylon, mm. right? That is a... a an amazing book to start with. I, the audible version is great because you're, it's a story, right? You get lost in the story, but you're learning sound financial principles that are over a hundred years old and that are based on centuries of stories that have been, you know, and 
think way pe- ways people have been thinking about money, um, and then go and evaluate the latest fad based on those principles. Yeah, because there's no there's no way to make instant money. I mean, there's really not. I mean, there probably is, but there's not. I mean, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, he started that way back in Harvard, and now it's the behemoth is now. If you really want to grow and grow the right way and grow an abundance, it's going to take time. But here's the thing. I'm 56. I think I have at least 44 more years to go. So if you're in your 50s like I am and you're like, I don't have any money, it's all right. There's plenty of opportunity. We now live in a global society. I mean, my clients, I have clients in Hong Kong, clients in Europe, clients in my hometown, in my current town of Houston. So if you don't have money right now, it's okay. Just make a decision that I'm going to change. And I just want, before I ask you where we can go to find out more about you and whatnot, one of my favorite quotes, which kind of applies to our talk today, is Jim Rohn. He says, Wealthy people have big libraries. Poor people have big TVs. I want people to think about that. The wealthy people, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Grant Cardone, Gary Vaynerchuk, they read a lot. They're always learning. Listener, are you learning? Is learning a priority for you? Or is binge watching Netflix a priority for you? Or is endlessly scrolling on TikTok a priority for you? Because I can tell you the wealthy people don't have time to scroll endlessly on TikTok or Snapchat or Twitter or Facebook. They're busy creating wealth. So what I encourage you to do, and I hope my conversation with Amanda helps you do this, is to get educated and start spending time building your wealth. I promise you, TikTok is not going to give you a million dollars a day for scrolling on their app. They're not, it's not going to happen. I just, I hate to break that news to you, but it's not going to happen. So before you tell us where we can find out more about you, is there any parting wisdom that you want to leave uh, the listener with? Yeah. Um, I love that you talked with the people that are around your age. I'm going to talk to the people that are around my age. I'm 37. I started my financial journey, like really getting serious about it when I was in my 29, when I was 29. And a lot of us younger folk think we have plenty of time, that we don't need to think about this yet. But that's actually our advantage. The sooner we get started, the, and the sooner we find uninterrupted compounding interest, the eighth wonder of the world, the more, you know, that's really what's going to give us the edge. And I, when I talk to 18-year-olds, I tell them, the sooner you can figure out that unique balance that you have between saving and living, right, the, the more head and shoulders you're going to be above your peers. And uh, everyone's going to have that unique thing. Maybe they do the 10, 10, 10 formula. Maybe they do something different, but, and it's going to probably change at different stages of life. But that kind, if we can get that savings and working in our uh, favor for the future as young as possible, that's great. And I started my son on that journey when he was three months old. So parents, you can do that for your kids too. Excellent. Now I know you know the answer to this riddle, but I want to know if the listener knows. Would you rather have someone pay you a penny a day for 30 days or to give you $1 million? Now, I know Amanda knows the answer to this. I know the answer to this. So, listener, what do you think it is? Would you like to have a penny a day compounded, doubled every day for 30 days or to give someone to give you a $1 million? Now, because they can't talk back to us, Amanda, what's the answer? The penny doubling every day for sure. You end up with way more than a million dollars. Yeah, because it goes to one to two to four to eight to 16 to 30. It adds up really quickly. You get that day 16 or something like that. You're getting a lot of money. So if anyone ever, ever offers you that, 
always choose the penny a day for, for 30 days. Absolutely. And if you are offering that, come knock on my door. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Amanda, where can we go to find out more about you and what you're doing in the world? Yeah. Um, wherever you listen to this podcast, you can find the Grandma's Wealth Wisdom podcast the same place or visit grandmaswealthwisdom.com. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for bringing your insights and your energy. I love a guest who comes on the show and has just as much energy as I do because I know the listener, they told me that when the conversation is high energy, they're more engaged. If it's like laid back to like, uh, they turn it off. So thank you for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. I, that was my number one goal to match your energy. So mission accomplished. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your time and attention for listening to this episode of the Mark Stucheski podcast. Hey, are you a Mark Stucheski insider yet? This is my free email newsletter where I will send you value multiple times a week. And I promise you, every time I send an email out to my insiders, it always has value. So if you want to sign up absolutely free, just head on over to mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com.